Section six of the most extraordinary trial of William Palmer by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Third day, May the sixteenth, part two. Mr. Charles James Devonshire, undergraduate of University of London, late assistant to Dr. Monckton, examined by Mr. Huddleston. I made the first post-mortem examination of the body of Mr. Cook in November last. The body was pale and stiff, the hands were clinched, and the mouth was contorted. I opened the body. The liver was very healthy. The heart also seemed healthy, but it was perfectly empty. The lungs contained a considerable quantity of dark fluid blood. The blood was perfectly fluid. The brain was healthy throughout. I examined the medulla oblongata and about a quarter or half an inch of the spinal cord. It was perfectly sound. I took out the stomach and opened it with a pair of scissors. I put the contents in a jar, which was taken to Mr. Frears, the surgeon. I opened the jar from Mr. Frears on Monday, in the same state as it was before, and I gave it Mr. Boycott, clerk to Mr. Gardner, the attorney. I examined the body again on the twenty-ninth, and took out the liver, kidneys, spleen, and some blood and put them in a stone jar, which I covered with wash-leather and brown paper, and sealed up. I delivered that jar also to Boycott. Palmer said at the examination that we should find syphilis upon the deceased. I therefore examined the parts carefully, and found no indications of the sort. I also took out the throat. The papillae were slightly enlarged, but they were natural, and one of the tonsils was shrunk cross-examined by mr grove q c tetanic convulsions are considered to proceed from derangement of the spine and from complaints that affect the spine these derangements are not always capable of being detected by examination in examining the body of a person supposed to have died from tetanus the spinal cord would be the first organ looked at about half an inch of the spinal cord exterior to the aperture of the cranium was examined on the first occasion. I was not present when the granules were discovered on the second examination. The learned counsel was proceeding to cross-examine this witness upon some minute points of a scientific nature when Baron Alderson, interposing, said, When you have all the medical men in London here, you had better not examine an undergraduate of the University of London upon such points, I should think. Dr. Monckton examined by the attorney-general i am a physician in practice and reside at rugeley on the twenty eighth of january i made a post-mortem examination of the spinal cord and marrow of the deceased j p cook i found the muscles of the trunk in a state of laxity which i should attribute to the decay of the body which had set in but that laxity would not be at all inconsistent in my opinion with a great rigidity of those muscles at the time of death the muscles of the arms and legs were in a state of rigidity, but they were not more rigid than usual in dead bodies. The muscles of the arms had partially flexed the fingers of the hand. The feet were turned inwards to a much greater extent than usual. I carefully examined the spinal cord. The body was then in such a condition as to enable me to make a satisfactory examination of it and if prior to death there had been any disease of a normal character on the spinal cord and marrow, I should have had no difficulty in detecting it. There was no disease. 
I discovered certain granules upon it. It is difficult to account for their origin, but they are frequently found in persons of advanced age. I never knew them to occasion sudden death. I agree entirely with the evidence which has been given by Dr. Harland. This witness was not cross-examined. Mr. John Boycott, examined by Mr. Wellesby. I am clerk to Mrs. Lander, Gardner and Lander, attorneys at Rugeley. On the 26th of last November, I received a jar from Mr. Devonshire, covered with leather and brown paper, and sealed up. I took it to London, and delivered it on the next day to Dr. Taylor at Guy's Hospital. On a subsequent day I received another jar, similarly secured, from Mr. Devonshire, and I also brought that to London, and delivered it to Dr. Taylor. I was not present at the inquest on Cook's body, and did not fetch Newton to be examined there. On Tuesday last, when at the Rugeley station, previous to my departure for London, Newton came and made a communication to me. He knew that Mr. Gardner was not there, and when we reached London I took him to Mr. Gardner, and heard him make the same communication to Mr. Gardner, which he had made before to me. This witness was not cross-examined. James Myatt, examined by Mr. James. In November last I was postboy at the Talbot Arms at Rugeley. I know Palmer, the prisoner, and I remember Monday the 26th of November last. I was ordered on that night, a little after five o'clock, to take Mr. Stevens to the Stafford station in a fly. Before I started I went home to get my tea, and on returning from my tea to the Talbot Arms I met the prisoner. He asked me if I was going to drive Mr. Stevens to Stafford. I told him I was. What did he say to you then? He asked me if I would upset them. Them? Had anything been said about a jar? He said he supposed I was going to take the jar. What did you say then? I said I believed I was. What did he say after that? He said, Do you think you could upset them? What answer did you make? I told him no. Did he say anything more? He said, If you could... "'There's a ten-pound note for you. Sensation.' "'What did you say to that?' "'I told him I could not. "'I then said, "'I must go. "'The horses are in the fly, ready for us to start.' "'I do not recollect that he said anything more about the jar. "'I said that if I didn't go, somebody else would go. "'He told me not to be in a hurry, "'for if anybody else went, he would pay me. "'I saw him again next morning, when I was going to breakfast.' He asked me then who went with the fly. I told him Mr. Stevens, and I believed one of Mr. Gardner's clerks. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. Were not the words that Palmer used, I wouldn't mind giving ten pounds to break Stevens's neck? I don't recollect the words, break his neck. Well, upset him. Did he say I wouldn't mind giving ten pounds to upset him? Yes, I believe those were the words. I do not know that Palmer appeared to have been drinking. I don't recollect that he had. I can't say that he used any epithet applied to Stevens. He said it was a humbugging concern altogether, or something of that. I don't recollect that he said Stevens was a troublesome fellow, and very inquisitive. I don't remember anything more than I have said. I do not know whether there was more than one jar. Samuel Cheshire, formerly postmaster at Rugeley, 
who has been sentenced to two years' imprisonment for tampering with letters in connection with this affair, was brought up in custody and examined by Mr. James. He is an extremely respectable-looking man, above the middle age, and was dressed in black. He deposed as follows. I was for upward of eight years postmaster at Rugeley. I come now from Newgate, where I am under sentence for having read a letter. The question was, opened a letter. I confessed to having done so. The question was, did you plead guilty to that charge? I knew the prisoner William Palmer very well. We were schoolfellows together, and I have been three or four times in my life at races with him. I never made a bet, but once in my life, but I was very intimate with Palmer. I accompanied him to Shrewsbury races in November 1855. I returned to Rugeley on Tuesday the 13th, the same day on which Polestar won the handicap. On Saturday the 17th I went to see Mr. Cook, who was in bed at the Talbot Arms at Rugeley. I lived at the post office, which was 300 or 400 yards from Palmer's house. On the Tuesday evening, the 20th, I received a message from Palmer asking me to go over to him and to take a receipt stamp with me. In consequence of that message, I went to Palmer's house and took a receipt stamp, as requested. When I reached Palmer's, I found him in the sitting-room. He said that he wanted me to write out a cheque, and he produced a copy from which he said I was to write. I copied the document which he produced. He said that it related to money which Mr. Cook owed him, and he asked me to write it because, he said, Cook was too ill to do it, and Weatherby would know his, Palmer's, handwriting. He said that when I had written it, he would take it over to Mr. Cook to sign. I then wrote as he requested me, and I left the paper with Palmer. Mr. Weatherby was here called in order to trace this document. In answer to Mr. James, he said, I am secretary to the Jockey Club, and my establishment is at Birmingham. I keep a sort of banking account and receive stakes for gentlemen who own racers and bet. I knew the deceased, John Parsons Cook, who had an account of that nature with me. I knew Palmer slightly. He had no such account with me. On the 21st of November, I received a cheque or order upon our house for £350. It came by post. I sent it back two days afterwards, on Friday the 23rd. I sent it back by post to Palmer, the prisoner, at Rugeley. Boycott was recalled and proved that he had served notices upon the prisoner and upon Mr. Smith, his attorney, to produce the cheque or order referred to, and that it had not been produced in pursuance of these notices. Prisoner's counsel did not now produce it. Examination of Samuel Cheshire continued. As far as I can remember, what I wrote was, pay to Mr. William Palmer the sum of £350 and place it to my account. I do not remember whether I put any date to it. I left it with Palmer and went away. That was on Tuesday. On the Thursday or Friday following, Palmer sent again for me. I do not remember what day it was, but it was after I had heard of the death of Mr. Cook at the Talbot Arms. I went to Palmer in the evening, between six and seven o'clock, in consequence of his having sent for me. When I arrived, I found him in the kitchen, and he immediately went out, and shortly after returned with a quarto sheet of paper in his hand. He gave me a pen and asked me to sign something. I asked what it was, and he replied, You know that Cook and I have dealings together, 
and this is a document which he gave me some days ago and i want you to witness it i said what is it about he said some business that i have joined him in and which was all for mr cook's benefit and this is the document stating so i just cast my eye over the paper it was a quarto post paper of a yellow description i looked at the writing and i believed that it was mr palmer's when he asked me to sign it i told him that i could not as i might perhaps be called upon to give evidence on the matter at some future day i told him that i had not seen mr cook sign it and i also said that i thought the post office authorities would not approve my mixing myself up in a matter which might occasion my absence from my duties to give evidence in fact i did not give any exact reasons for refusing to sign it palmer said it did not much matter as he dared say they would not object to mr cook's signature i left the paper with palmer and went away i believe there was a stamp upon it i did not read it all but i cast my eye down it notices had also been served upon the prisoner and his attorney to produce this document but it had not been produced witness continued i remember the effect of it it was that certain bills the dates and amounts of which were quoted although i cannot recollect them now were all for mr cook's benefit and not for mr palmer's those were not the exact words but that was the purport of them i know that the amounts were large although i do not remember them all i remember however that one was for one thousand pounds and another for five hundred pounds there was a signature to that document it was either i p or j p cook i don't think the word parsons was written but either i p or j p cook palmer was in the habit of calling at the post office for letters addressed to his mother who resided at rugeley i cannot remember that during the months of october and november eighteen fifty five i gave him any letters addressed to his mother nor can i say whether in those months i gave him any letters addressed to mr cook but cook has taken palmer's letters and palmer has taken cook's letters i remember the inquest upon cook i saw palmer frequently while that inquest was going on he came down to me on the sunday evening previous to the fifth of december the date to which the inquest was adjourned and asked me if i saw or heard of anything fresh to let him know i guessed what he wanted and thought that he wanted to tempt me to open a letter i therefore told him that i could not open a letter he said that he did not want me to do anything to injure myself i believe that was all that passed on that occasion the letter for reading which i am now under sentence of punishment was from dr alfred taylor of london to mr gardiner the solicitor of rugeley i read part of the letter and told mr palmer as much as i remembered of it this took place on the morning of the fifth of december i told palmer that the letter mentioned that no traces of strychnine were to be found i can't call to mind what else i told him he said he knew there would be no traces of poison for he was perfectly innocent the letter i hold in hand signed w p and addressed to w ward esq coroner i believe to be in the prisoner's handwriting captain hatton examined by mr james i am chief constable of stafford the letter now produced i obtained from the coroner the clerk of arraigns read the letter in question it bore no date and was to the following effect Quote, 
"'My dear sir, I am sorry to tell you that I am still confined to my bed. I don't think it was mentioned at the inquest yesterday that Cook was taken ill on Sunday and Monday night, in the same way as he was on the Tuesday when he died. The chambermaid at the Crown Hotel, Masters, can prove this. I also believe that a man by the name of Fisher is coming down to prove he received some money at Shrewsbury. Now here he could only pay Smith ten pounds out of forty-one pounds he owed him. Had you not better call Smith to prove this? And again, whatever Professor Taylor may say tomorrow, he wrote from London last Tuesday night to Gardner to say, We, and Dr. Rees, have this day finished our analysis and find no traces of either strychnia, prussic acid, or opium. What can beat this from a man like Taylor, if he says what he has already said, and Dr. Harlan's evidence? Mind you, I know, and saw it in black and white, what Taylor said to Gardner, but this is strictly private and confidential. But it is true. As regards his betting book, I know nothing of it, and it is of no good to any one. I hope the verdict to-morrow will be that he died of natural causes, and thus end it. Ever yours, W.P. The witness Cheshire was then cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. I knew Cook very well. I did not know his handwriting. I have seen it, but am not sufficiently familiar with it to be able to identify it. I have seen him write. When I refused to sign the document which Palmer presented to me for signature, he observed, Oh, it is no matter. I dare say they will not call in question Mr. Cook's signature. What Palmer asked me was whether I had seen or heard anything. I said that I had seen something, but that it would be wrong for me to tell him what. He then inquired what I had seen. I think the phrase he used in speaking of his own innocence was that he was as innocent as a baby. I remember having been told by Palmer the Saturday before Cook died that the latter was very ill. On that day I saw Cook. He was ill and in bed. I saw Palmer about midday of Wednesday, the second day of the Shrewsbury races. I saw him at Rugeley on that day. To Mr. James. The duration of the journey from Stafford to Shrewsbury is upwards of an hour. Ellis Crisp, examined by Mr. James. I am Inspector of Police at Rugeley. On the 17th of December I assisted in searching the prisoner's house. There was a sale of his furniture, etc., on the 5th of January. The book now produced I found in his house, and took it away. It was being sold, and I took it away. A laugh. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. It was brought out at the sale, with a lot of other books. There were several medical books in the house. There was no attempt to conceal the volume I seized. The clerk of arraigns read from the book referred to this sentence, proved by the witness boycott, to be in Palmer's writing. Strychnia kills by causing tetanic fixing of the respiratory muscles. J. Burden, examined by Mr. James. This manuscript book I found in the prisoner's house on the 16th or 17th of December. I am an inspector of police in Staffordshire. The Attorney General read an extract from the book in question. It related to strychnine and alluded to the mode of its operation. Lord Campbell, that may be merely a passage extracted from an article on strychnine in some encyclopedia. The Attorney General, no doubt it may, 
I put it in for what it is worth. Elizabeth Hawkes, examined by Mr. Huddleston. I keep a boarding-house at seven Beaufort Buildings, Strand. I know Palmer. He was at my house on the first December last. He asked my porter to buy some game and fish for him. I purchased some fowls for him on the first of December. They consisted of a turkey and a brace of pheasants. The porter purchased the fish. I packed these things up in a hamper. I had no conversation with Palmer about these things. I bought them by Palmer's orders, conveyed through the porter. I sent them somewhere. I directed them myself and gave them to the porter, who carried them to the railway station. I have never been paid for them. Palmer came to my house on the evening of that day, but I did not see him. The direction on the hamper was W. W. Ward, Esquire, Stoke-upon-Trent, Staffordshire. George Herring, examined by Mr. Wellesby. I live near New Cross, and am independent. I knew Cook, and met him at the Shrewsbury races last November. I put up at the Raven. He appeared in his usual health. I saw him between six and seven on Wednesday, the second day of the races. I had a private room with Mr. Fisher, Mr. Reed, and Mr. T. Jones. It was the next room occupied by Cook and Palmer. On Thursday, the following day, I saw Cook. I do not know that at that time he had any money with him, but I saw him with Bank of England and Provincial Banknotes on Wednesday. He unfolded them on his knees in twos and threes. There was a considerable number of notes. He showed me at Shrewsbury his betting book. It contained entries of bets made on the Shrewsbury races. On Monday the 19th of November, I received a letter from Palmer. I have it here. The clerk of arraigns read the letter, of which the following is a copy. Dear Sir, I shall feel much obliged if you will give me a call at 7 Beaufort Buildings, Strand, on Monday, about half-past two. I am, dear sir, very truly yours, W. Palmer. Examination continued. I received this letter on Monday and called at Beaufort Buildings that same day, at half-past two exactly. I found Palmer there. He asked me what I would take. I declined to take anything. I then asked him how Mr. Cook was. He said, he's all right. His physician gave him a dose of calomel and advised him not to come out, it being a damp day. I don't know which term he used, damp or wet. He then went on to say, in the same sentence, what I want to see you about is settling his account. While he was speaking, he took out half a sheet of notepaper from his pocket, and it was open when he had finished the sentence. He held it up and said, This is it. I rose to take it. He said, You had better take its contents down. This will be a check against you. At the same time, he pointed to some paper lying on the table. I wrote on that paper from his dictation. I have here the paper which I so wrote. The witness read the document in question, which contained instructions as to certain payments he should pay out of monies to be received by him at Tattersall's on account of the Shrewsbury races. Palmer then said that I had better write out a cheque for Pratt and Padwick, for the former £450 and for the latter £350, and send them at once. I told him I had only one form of cheque in my pocket. He said I could easily fill up a draft on half a sheet of paper. I refused to comply with his request, as I had not as yet received the money. 
He replied that it would be all right, for that Cook would not deceive me. He wished me particularly to pay Mr. Pratt the £450. His words, as nearly as I can remember them, were, You must pay Pratt, as it is for a bill of sale on the mare. I don't know whether he said a bill of sale or a joint bill of sale. He told me he was going to see both Pratt and Padwick, to tell them that I would send on the money. Previous to his saying this, I told him that if he would give me the address of Pratt and Padwick, I would call on them, after I had got the money from Tattersall's, and give it to them. He then asked me what was between us. There was only a few pounds between us, and after we had had some conversation on the point, he took out of his pocket a fifty-pound Bank of England note. He required twenty-nine pounds out of the note, and I was not able to give it, but he said that if I gave him a cheque, it would answer as well. I gave him a cheque for twenty pounds and nine sovereigns. When I was going away, I do not remember that he said anything about my paying the money to Pratt and Padwick. He said on parting, When you have settled this account, write down the word to either me or Cook. I turned round and said, I shall certainly write to Mr. Cook. I said so because I thought I was settling Mr. Cook's account. He said, It don't much matter which you write to. I said, If I address Mr. Cook, Rugely Stafford, it will be correct, will it not? He said, Yes, and after leaving Beaufort Buildings, I went to Tassassel's. I then received all the money I expected, except £110 from Mr. Morris, who paid me £90 instead of £200. I sent from Tattersall's a cheque for £450 to Mr. Pratt. I posted a letter to Cook from Tattersall's and directed it to Rugeley. On Tuesday the 20th, next day, I received a telegraphic message. I have not got it here. I gave it to Captain Hatton at the coroner's inquest at Rugeley. In consequence of receiving that message, I wrote again to Cook that day. I addressed my letter as before, but I believe the letter was not posted till the Wednesday. I had three bills of exchange with me. I know Palmer's handwriting, but never saw him write. I cannot prove his writing, but I knew Cook's writing, and I believe the drawing of two and the accepting of the three bills to be in his writing. I got them from Fisher, and gave him cash for them. The witness boycott was recalled, and identified the signatures on the bills as those of Palmer and Cook. Examination continued. The bills are each for £200. One of them was payable in a month, and when it fell due on October the 18th, Cook paid the £100 on account. He paid me the remaining £100 at Shrewsbury, but I cannot tell with certainty on what day. I did not pay the £350 to Mr. Padwick. I hold another bill for £500. Thomas Strawbridge, manager of the bank at Rugeley, identified the drawing and endorsing as in the handwriting of Palmer. The acceptance, purporting to be in the writing of Mrs. Sarah Palmer, he did not believe to have been written by her. Examination continued. I am sure that the endorsement on the £500 bill is in Cook's writing. I got the bill from Mr. Fisher. I paid £200 on account of it to Palmer, and £275 to Mr. Fisher. The balance was discount. It was not paid at maturity. I have taken proceedings against Palmer to recover the amount. Cross-examined by Mr. Grove. 
Several people were ill at Shrewsbury on the second day of the races. They suffered from a kind of diarrhoea. I was one of those so affected. I had my meals at the Raven, where I put up, as also had my companions. They were not ill, but a gentleman who dined with us one day at the inn was. Palmer did not dine with me any day at the Raven. I saw Cook several times on the race-course. The ground was wet. I remonstrated with him on Thursday for standing on it. That was after he had been taken ill on Wednesday. I was with Palmer for about an hour at Beaufort Buildings. Frederick Slack, examined by Mr. Huddleston. I am the porter at Mrs. Hawkes's boarding-house at Beaufort Buildings. On the 1st of December I saw Palmer there, and he gave me the direction to put on a hamper containing game. It was W. W. Ward, Esquire, Stoke-upon-Trent, Staffordshire. He told me to buy a turkey, a brace of pheasants, a codfish, and a barrel of oysters, and to put them wherever I pleased. He said he did not wish the gentleman, for whom they were intended, to know from whom they came. I saw him write the direction in the coffee-room. I got the hamper and put all the things in it. I sewed it up and took it to the railway. Mrs. Hawkes bought the fowl and I the other articles. It being now within five minutes of six o'clock, the court intimated its intention not to proceed further with the case that evening. Lord Campbell suggested that some facility of breathing fresh air should be afforded to the jury before the sitting of the court on the following morning. Were it not that he made it a practice to take a walk early in the morning in Kensington Gardens, he should himself find it impossible to endure the fatigue of so arduous a trial. An omnibus, or a couple of them, ought to be engaged for the accommodation of the jury, that they, too, might enjoy similar recreation. Mr. Baron Alderson, why should they not take a walk in the Temple Gardens? There could be no more tranquil spot. A laugh. The sheriffs intimated that they would attend to the recommendations of the learned judges. The court then adjourned at six o'clock until ten o'clock Monday. End of section 6